0: Rely on him and his incredible love and the strength that he has for each and every one of us. You may be seated. Once again, it's great to see each and every one of you here at the chapel this morning. We uh, hope and pray it feels like home to you today as we just continue to worship the Lord. There's a lot of great things that are going on in the chapel's ministry right now. Uh, One of the The special things that's happening is there's going to be uh, a Young Life Capernaum information meeting It's going to be taking place October the 21st through the 22nd after each service right here at this campus. And basically, Young Life is a tremendous ministry that reaches out, especially to to high school students. And this particular um, part of the ministry, the Capernaum part, is really reaching those students right where they are that, that have special needs that have maybe uh, developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities, some type of um, disability that we're just trying to love on those students and be able to care for them right where they are. And uh, I was on staff with Young Life for, for over four years back in the day, and it's such a tremendous ministry. And I think this is an extra special part of the ministry to be able to reach those particular students that are in need as well. So if you've got a heart for that or you know of somebody, that maybe has a heart for that, I really want to encourage you to come on out, be a part of this informational meeting, or you could even uh, text or call Will Wiseman. He is the Firelands uh, Young Life Director as well, okay? And then also, hey, another one, the Fall Family Festival is still on, okay? We said rain or shine, so we're actually going to have it Right here, uh, it's going to be from 4 to 6. There's still going to be lots of different games and snacks, and, and the uh, kids' worship team is going to really be leading everybody in some worship as well. So it should be a, just a tremendous time for everybody. So come on out today, uh, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. We're actually going to need some, some help even removing all the chairs after the second service because we're going to have it right in this area too. So it should be a tremendous, tremendous time. And then last but not least is definitely, as you walked in today, you probably saw that it's that time of year again, it's Operation Christmas Child. So we are really, really blessed to be able to have uh, all of the different OCC boxes that are there in the atrium, so you could pick one of those up on your way out today, and uh, it's just a great opportunity to be able to share the gospel and provide some Christmas presents uh, for those particular kids all over the world that are, that are in need. And uh, I know as a church we've done that for many, many years. There's lots of churches all over the country that are doing that to provide uh, for those kids. And it's so exciting when you see those kids open up a box. And I know this year our goal as a chapel family is, I believe it's 2,500, 2,500 boxes. We could do that uh, with all three churches, so maybe if you did... Two last year, you could do three this year, I don't know. My family and I, we love doing it, we've done it for years ourselves, and uh, it's always a very special time. So we're going to show you just a quick video now, and this is a personal story uh, of somebody that received actually one of our boxes, so here you go.
1: Hello the Chapel family at the three campuses, Sandusky, Norwalk, and Port Clinton, Ohio. My name is Dania Andreas and when I was around five years old, I received my very first gift through Operation Christmas Child. I grew up in the Middle East in a country where 98% of the population were not Christians. My family were faced with severe persecution and poverty. But in the midst of that darkness, God reached me through the Operation Christmas Child's shoebox gift. And inside of it, there were items that my family needed and had prayed for. And that's when I learned that God sees me, and I am loved by him. I'm so grateful for your partnership. Last year, 1,800 shoeboxes were packed at your church. Truly, it's people like you that make stories like mine possible. And so thank you for all that you do, and may God bless you.
2: Isn't that awesome? That's what we want to be a part of. Thanks, Chapel family, for your generosity. Thanks for partnering with us in Operation Christmas Child. Like Jeff said, out in the atrium today, the boxes are there. They'll be out there for a couple more weeks, and you can start returning them, bringing them back in over the next couple weeks as well, and uh, look forward to to just packing just one more uh, this year than we did last year. And uh, let's let's, uh, just overwhelm our world and children all over the world uh, with the love of Christ uh, this Christmas season. All right? Before we dive into the truth of god's word uh, we want we've been getting of course a lot of questions you all of us are very well aware it's election season there's big important votes coming up we've been asked it a number of times well, what about issue one and what what is the chap is the chapel going to say anything uh, what's our position and uh, so we took some time as a as a leadership team and I just want to read kind of our our response and um Obviously, one of the big issues is issue one, which is predominantly about um, abortion. And we, as we've seen over the last, you know, number of years, it's a highly emotional topic, right? Uh, for, for people on both sides of the issue and how they feel and why they feel and what their convictions um, are. And I first want to say our purpose as a church it's not, it's not to be political. It's not to tell people how to vote. Uh, our purpose as a church is to help people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. All people. People of, of varying persuasions, backgrounds, political thoughts, opinions. Our purpose is to help every single one of us move closer to Jesus and his heartbeat. And that being said, um, as we study the scripture, though, as a church... Um, you know, we see that from the very beginning, God does value life, and therefore, we value life. Uh, we, 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 we echo the words of the psalmist who said, For you knit me together in my mother's womb, in the inner place, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We value all life, from, from the womb uh, to the tomb. Um, and we know that there's probably people that are even here today, or perhaps watching online, and maybe you've gone through an abortion. We cannot pretend to know the the hardship, the heartache. We can't pretend to know what this, what circumstances led to that decision. Regardless, we want you to know that if you're here, you're watching. We love you. You're welcome here. We care for you, and we see God's love uh, in the midst of all these things for us, no matter who we are, where we've been, and what has happened in our lives. But when it comes to how, how to vote, uh, and we've shared this before, I think it's appropriate to, to refer to John Wesley, one of the early uh, kind of church fathers. And here's what John Wesley had to say. He said, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them In these three ways. And this is good wisdom for us. Number one, to vote for the person or the issue that they judged most worthy. How can I honor God with my vote and how can I do so according to his conscience that he's placed within me? Secondly, to speak no evil of the person or issue that they voted against. And number three, to make sure that their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. You see, this vote, it is important, but how we treat one another is just as important. And at the end of the day, where we rest is not in politics, it's not in a vote, it's not even in an outcome. Where we rest is in the sovereignty of God, that Jesus is still on the throne, that he will be on the throne and fully in charge of all things the day after the election and the vote, just as he is today. And so we want to encourage you, yes, vote. Do what you feel like honors Jesus. But secondly, let's let's make sure that our trust is not just in the government or in a vote, that our trust is in Jesus as Savior and as Lord. All right? Are you with us in that? Thank you so much for, for caring and thank you for being being a part. Um, We we, want to continue this weekend in our series in the wisdom literature of the Bible. And so for the last few weeks, we've been camped out and looking at what are often known as the seven deadly sins out of the book of Proverbs. And boy, what a fun ride it's been, right? The last few weeks, I mean, we've talked about pride, anger, envy, and today I get to talk about gluttony. I must have drawn the short straw, right? No wonder Pastor Eric isn't here. Well, actually... Actually, he's preaching over at our Port Clinton campus today, so uh, we want to talk about gluttony, and, and we, may, we may have some thoughts, some ideas, but we need to first answer the question, what is gluttony, right? What is gluttony? Merriam-Webster helps us here, defines gluttony as, in, probably in a way that many of us also might, it's the excess in eating or drinking. At the end of the day, gluttony really is all about the excess, and it's not just about eating or drinking. I think gluttony can, can find its way into our lives in a number of different avenues and kind of work itself out in our lives in a number of different arenas. In fact, if we were to define gluttony, I think in a broader uh, perspective, we would just simply call gluttony the love of more. The love of more. See, gluttony always needs more, wants more, is never satisfied, is never content, is all about filling self with more. And filling self with, well, you just kind of fill in the blank, and it's very possible it could be gluttony. Proverbs 21 verse 17 says, Those who love pleasure... Become poor, those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. Now, God is not down on pleasure. Notice that it says it's those who love pleasure that become poor. In fact, if we were to define pleasure, pleasure is simply a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. And I want you to know, God is not down on enjoyment, God's not down on pleasure. In fact, God gave us the ability to sense and to know pleasure and joy. But as as Tim Keller puts it, he says, it's when the love of pleasurable physical sensation dominates that then it becomes the deadly sin of gluttony. It's interesting that in the In the New Testament, Jesus is walking the earth, and Jesus is actually called a glutton. Did you know this? (laughs) Yeah, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it says, "'The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you all say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners.' But he goes on to say, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. What are the results of what Jesus ate and drank? He wasn't living a a gluttonous lifestyle. And the religious leaders of the day, they were attacking him because they were uh, concerned. They were overwhelmed. They were fearful of Jesus and his power and his prestige and his character and his words and his teaching. And so anything that they could do to point fingers... But, but Jesus didn't live as a glutton. Jesus loved the glutton and reached out to and shared life and brought hope and freedom to the glutton. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Notice the, the, the writer of Proverbs here, he's saying there's nothing wrong with storing up and storing up even choice food, or or expensive olive oil, or fill in the blank. Again, God's not down on stuff or things that can bring enjoyment, but he says it's the fool, though, that just gulps it down, like wastes it, just takes it in so ravishly and quickly that they can't even fully enjoy it because there's just this longing for more. That's what gluttony is all about. And gluttony robs us. I want us to think about three ways that gluttony can rob our lives. First and foremost, gluttony can rob us of both time with God and time with others. Now, remember, we said before, gluttony is the love of more, and it doesn't have to just be food or drink. It could be the love of more. What? Uh, Well, think about how much we love our devices, right? Every single one of us, probably right now, it's either in your purse, it's in your pocket, it's somewhere, you've got your phone. When was the last time you were bored? Never, right? (laughs) Never, because there's always something to do. We always have our devices at our fingertips. Just the other day, I was in a waiting room, but was I bored? No, I had plenty to do. I had plenty to scan, I had plenty to watch, I had plenty to view. And the danger, again, not down on technology. In fact, technology is a gift. But it's when we love it and we can't get enough of it and it becomes the more in our life. What happens? Well, it robs us of time with God. You know, yeah, I just didn't have time to get into his word today. And yet, I had a lot of time on my hands and in my hand. Right? Or, or, or man, how many times have you been out, in fact, Probably we've been guilty of this before too. And you see a couple sitting over at a table, the candle's lit, the food's arriving, and they're both on their phone, right? And we're robbing ourselves sometimes of relationship because really of a gluttonous behavior with our devices and technology. Or secondly, gluttony can rob us of our health. And so when, it, when we do kind of come back to that, the theme of food and drink, Think about the number one killers in our country today. Cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and certainly some of these can have genetic uh, kind of uh, backgrounds. And, and there's, there's, sometimes there's not a lot that we can do to completely change or prevent things. And yet, for many people and for uh, our world today that we live in, If we were to watch more of what we do take in, right, and the amounts that we take in, it might radically change even the death rate when it comes to these three main categories. Gluttony robs us of our health. And you know, the biggest deal about that, when we get robbed of our health, it prevents us from living the full life that Jesus has planned for us. He wants to use us. He wants us to be out in the world, loving people, serving people, reaching out. And when our health is deteriorating and it's because of gluttonous activity, that's a danger zone and we're being robbed. And thirdly, I think ro- gluttony also robs us of our resources, which seems kind of backwards. You know, like gluttony, if it's just the love of more and we get more stuff, is well, isn't that a good thing, right? But think about it. The more you have... The more you need, right? It's true. Uh, you get more clothes. Well, then we need more space for those clothes, right? Or we get more, uh, more, more yard. Well, we need more lawn equipment to take care of that yard. We get more house. It means more clean. Now, listen. This is not. A, I'm not down on houses. We have a beautiful house. You know, I, I love my yard. It's, it's, but it's when we're never satisfied and we, we're always just being driven for more, and there's this insatiable appetite in our life for more things, more stuff. Uh, More stuff? Well, what does that mean? More storage for the stuff, right? More cars, it just means more insurance. And again, God's not down on cars. But But if it's leading to a gluttonous attitude in our life, it can be dangerous. You see, gluttony is about more, the love of more. It leads us to a bottom-line truth for this weekend. Don't let more be your Lord. You know, it's, it's easy to say, I believe in God, or I believe in Jesus, or Jesus is my Lord. But we really have to wrestle with, well, what is my Lord? What is the master of my life? What is it I, that I give myself to? What is that I think about the most? What really is my Lord? And for many people more becomes the lord and it leads to gluttony in a myriad of categories in our life let's go back to proverbs chapter 21 verse 17 we looked at this before it says those who love pleasure remember it's not pleasure that's the enemy it's the love of pleasure it says the love those who love pleasure will what become poor like will become bankrupt and this isn't just just about Poverty in, say, finances because we just bought too much stuff. This could be poverty of spirit. This could be poverty of character. This could be poverty of relationships because gluttony in these different avenues will rob us of relationship, rob us of our character because of what we're always giving ourselves to. And those who love wine and luxury, he says, will never be rich. The things that oftentimes we're chasing after... We'll never have fully or be able to enjoy because more has become our Lord, and it can lead to gluttony can lead to a whole host of addictions. and Proverbs chapter 23, kind of this whole section talks about the the power of addiction in our life, and, and we care about this like. We want to be people that can be honest and real and authentic, and there's probably people in the room that you're wrestling with an addiction right now in your life, and it might have started out as kind of a, this gluttonous uh, need, desire for more, more pleasure, or more escape, or, or more of that certain feeling, and it, it can lead us down a road where we, where we become trapped. Uh, Proverbs 23, verses 29 to 35 says, Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who's always fighting? Who's always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It's the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. He says, Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down, for in the end it bites like a poisonous steak. It stings like a viper. He says, you will see hallucinations, you'll say crazy things, you'll stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast, and you will say they hit me, but I didn't feel it, I didn't even know it when they beat me up. And then the, the proverb writer finishes this way, he says, when will I wake up so I can look for just another drink? Now again, the Bible, the Bible does not prohibit drinking or alcohol consumption, it gives some warnings because if, if all we want and need is more of that drink, that can become very, very dangerous. It's the love of more. It's when more becomes our Lord and starts leading our life, right? And it doesn't, it do, addiction doesn't have to just do with alcohol, right? Right? It might not be just waking up and longing for another drink. It might be another dose. It might just be another bet. It might just be another dessert. It might be another hour online. It might be another episode of that show. It might be another hour at work away from home. It might be another purchase. Don't let more be your Lord. So so why is it that we... We can fall into gluttony. I think there could could be a number of reasons maybe it's maybe it's rooted in fear, like I don't know what I would do though, without that thing that I often go to. Um, maybe it's fear that, well, will God really be enough? Will Jesus really satisfy and I fear and and I'm and, and struggling to trust God with this area of my life. Or maybe it's control. Like, I, just, I don't want anybody telling me what I can't do. I don't have a problem. Or, or if I do, I'll change it when I want to. Or, or maybe it's, it's just comfort. Like, I don't know how I would live if I just gave up that. Whatever the that is. Whether the that is shopping, whether the that is gambling, whether the that is drinking, whether the that is sex, whatever it would be. Or maybe, maybe we fall into gluttony because of disbelief. Like, I don't, I don't know if God will help me with that thing. Or I don't know if God will be enough. And I'm not willing to trust him with this thing. Don't let more be your Lord. So what's the alternative? How do we, how do we overcome this desire for more? Jesus uh, says the, these words in the infamous Sermon on the Mount. He says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. Like, if you want to live a life with everything that you need, not, not everything that you want, <laughs> I mean, let's be clear, uh, Jesus is not just a genie in the bottle that that that, you know, we come into relationship with and, you know, we say a few prayers and, man, He just douses us with everything that we want. No, in fact, sometimes... Following Jesus means giving up some of the things that we want or wanted, but what we discover when we seek first his kingdom is that it starts to change our wants. It changes our desires. And we find in Christ truly everything that we really, really need. And so Jesus said, if you'll just seek first my kingdom, like, Go after me and what's important to me. Loving God, loving people, serving others. Seek, seek first my kingdom. And first, like, this is number one. It's, this is what is Lord and Master in our life. It's Jesus. And doing whatever it is that he calls us towards. And he says, then you will have everything that you need. You'll, we'll, we'll be deeply satisfied and content. Because we will find that Jesus is enough. And so I want to close with a few next step questions. The first one is this. What kingdom am I seeking? What kingdom am I really seeking? Am I I seeking the kingdom of God first in my life? Or am I seeking the kingdom of me? Or the kingdom of, of more? I mean, it's so easy to fall into this trap especially in our world and our culture and I mean we, we talked about envy last week we're going to talk about greed in a couple weeks you see how all these things are just kind of weave together and then it's it's just totally pushed on us by the culture within which we live so what kingdom am I really seeking after second question or second step is pray. And you're like, Todd, hello, yes, we get it. Yeah, I know we need to pray. But sometimes I think when we're in a battle with something in our life, I know I've done this before, so my battle is, well, God, I, I keep falling into this. Or, so, God, please, just take it away, right? Take it away. That's what we pray oftentimes. And God sometimes doesn't answer the take it away prayer, I, perhaps a better way to pray about whatever the vice is in our life is Lord, help me to apply the gospel to this area of my life. And what is the gospel? The gospel is one that God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. God loves the glutton. God loves the addict. God loves the liar. Whatever the issue is, the vice is in my life, the gospel says God still deeply loves you. So much so that he would send his own son Jesus to die and take the penalty for our vice. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sin of gluttony in your life or in my life. This is what the gospel says. And the gospel says that because Jesus went to the cross, and died in my place for my sins and for yours, that forgiveness and freedom is possible. Whatever vice, battle, gluttonous activity has seeped its way into my life or your life, I want you to know that the gospel says there's forgiveness and there's freedom available. This is what the gospel says. So Lord, pray, Lord, help me to apply your truth and the gospel of your good news, your good news of hope and forgiveness to my life and to this particular issue. And third, third, thirdly, just take some chair time. And I know, you know, it's like always the answer. Just pray and read the Bible. But man, our devices and our gluttonous activity sometimes with our devices is robbing us of some much-needed time with Jesus in His Word. And His Word is, is what, what centers us. It, it's the foundation that we build our life upon. It's what, it's what reshapes our thinking so that it, when I think that I just always need more of that, Jesus' Word can show me otherwise. Take some chair time, some time in God's Word. And then finally, What if we asked other people in our life and trusted them enough to be honest with us and to say, do you see any addictions or any signs of addiction in my life? And and we're not just talking about drugs or alcohol or food, any form of addiction. And what what would happen? You know, the opposite of gluttony is self-control. And I know for most of us in the room, like we feel this kind of ongoing war between whatever the thing is and then self-control, right? What would happen if, because we were so centered on Jesus, seeking his kingdom in our life, so close to Jesus and walking in his spirit, that as the Bible itself says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on and so forth. And what's the last one that they say? Self-control. What if self-control wasn't so much of a battle but instead was the fruit of our just daily walk with Jesus and how it would free us from some of the vices that are robbing us of the life that God has for us. I want, to, want us to close today. And I'd just like to ask you to just take a moment You can look at the words on the screen, but let me just read this prayer um, based on a Tim Keller prayer in his Proverbs devotional. And uh, let me read it over us as we close our time together. Lord, so many things are neither bad nor good, but to be used with discretion. It is wisdom to know what they are and how to use them wisely. Failure to discern has ruined many lives, so protect me and my loved ones from foolishness in regard to food and drink or whatever it might be, and keep me, keep us from making more, our Lord. God, thank you for your love and your grace. Would you help us to seek first your kingdom instead of seeking the kingdom of more? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of your weekend, guys.